when you're growing up over kind of dinner, you might have grown up in one of two families. There's the kind of family at the dinner table where, you know, mum or dad would just be like, listen, just eat it. That's all there is. You'll sit there and you'll eat that. And um, as I become a parent, I think I kind of sit in that thing. I, like I'll say to my parent and my kids, you know, I wasn't asking if you liked it. Uh, that's, where, that's where I've become. But also there's the family where they're like, oh, just try it. You'll like it. You know, just give it a go and you'll love it. Just try it. You never know, you never know if you'll like it until you try it. Um, any kids that are in here, I can tell you, any medicine delivered in a spoon, you won't like it when you try it. Uh, and, and mostly it felt like when, you know, parents said to you, oh, just, just try it, you'll like it. You're like, I know that I won't. Uh, and in the Beatitudes, you get this, this, these things we're looking at today, these sayings of being blessed. There is a series of things he says that sound like, uh, just try it and you'll like it, but they don't look like very nice things. Uh, it's kind of nine sort of blessing statements. Nine times he uses the word blessed here today. And, and blessed is a word that you both sort of know what it means and you don't. Um, if somebody says to you, would you like to be blessed or cursed? Your answer is probably you'd like to be blessed. Uh, but what does the word mean? Um, it, it really means sort of, uh, you know, good on you from God, uh, thumbs up from God, uh, well done, uh, you know, great job, a uh, God kind of a be fulfilled, be joyful, thumbs up, good on you. But what Je Jesus says will deliver that feels strange. Apparently being poor and sad and weak and hated are the ticket to getting God's thumbs up. The blessed life that's being held out in these Beatitudes could seem anything but blessed, which for us might be a little bit confusing if we thought about it. But for his original kind of audience, as he speaks to them, it sort of could go beyond confusing to even a little bit offensive. Because their story has been one of promised blessing. And at this point, they've probably already had enough of being sad and weak and hated. They're ready for God's good on you to arrive. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the start of Matthew's gospel and saw how it started with the family tree. And in Matthew 1, it starts with a family tree, not from Adam and Eve, but it starts with Abraham. And the reason for that is Abraham, the one is, who is the, he's the kind of ancestor who's promised blessing and that the world will be blessed through him. And Jesus comes as the kind of full stop in this family tree, as though he's the one who might finally bring the blessing to these people and through them to the worlds. Yet their blessing had never fully come, uh, which means for them they're, they're ready for it. They're ready for grief and sadness being belted around by one power after another. They are ready for it to be over. And as the one who is baptised with a voice from heaven saying, this is my son, starts moving, it's like there's a spark of the kingdom beginning, a spark of the blessing. Chapter 4 in Matthew, he starts building his kind of people. 
Uh, We saw there as Bonnie read out for us that he starts gathering people towards him. Chapter 4, verse 18, he's walking beside the Sea of Galilee, which is kind of up north. He sees two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were fishermen casting nets into the lake. And Jesus says, come follow me. And Jesus does it again. And they do. Which in itself is astounding, really, isn't it? If somebody comes to your work or your home this week and says, come follow me, and you do it, you may lose your job or get a visit from child services. <laughs> but for people who have been so eagerly awaiting this kind of blessing moment, seeing Jesus and his enormous power moves them to get going. His enormous power to bring blessing is seen in the last parts of chapter 4. As he shows them that this king and this kingdom is about sick people getting better and about evil being cleared out. Verse 24, the news about him spread all over Syria. Uh, I'm not very good with maps. I didn't get time to to make a thing for you on the screen. But if you imagine Israel kind of stretches along the Mediterranean Sea up north. Syria in their day was like this had been a big bag of jelly and someone squished it and Syria popped out. Uh, And that's kind of the shape of it up north. So the news of Jesus has spread out into that area. And they were bringing people to him in verse 24 who were filled with all kinds of illnesses and various diseases. Those who had severe pain, those who were demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and Jesus healed them. Literally, he gave them therapy that worked. So with this long-running expectation that God was going to gather and bless his people, it looks like it's starting to happen. And so in chapter 5, crowds gather and Jesus starts to deliver his most famous sermon. It's kind of to start with in chapter 5, the 12, but as it goes on, it becomes very clear that Jesus is on a mountainside and around him there are just an enormous number of people. And Jesus is deliberately echoing one of their historical moments here. Uh, The moment when they come out of slavery, they're they're on the hill at Sinai and Moses talks to God and comes down and he speaks to God's people from the side of the hill. Jesus is echoing that moment. And he's about to say, say, let me tell you what people in my kingdom will be like. Let me tell you what life in my kingdom will be like. And if you're them, what's the answer you're waiting for? Blessed. That's what they're waiting for. And as a kind of side note, um, but probably not where the talk really goes, it's actually good to remember as a Christian that it's not a bad thing to be, want to be Blessed. It's actually okay to desire a kind of blessed, deep and rich and full life with God. Um, I think sometimes we can kind of wrongly react, uh, or maybe it's a bit rightly, we don't want to appear selfish and like we're in it for something ourselves. But God states very clearly that his desire is to bless people and and bless the world through his people. Uh, So it's okay to want to be blessed. 
And I think also we react against that idea that um, can be common in lots of religions, but in, in lots of kind of Christian movements as well. That idea that if you sort of love God enough, he'll give you lovely straight white teeth and you'll be really wealthy. Um, both signs that I don't love God enough. <laughs> but, you know, we know that those things are not true. But, you know, God is good. He's been perfectly good and generous for his eternal existence and his great desire is to share that with people who worship him. So you should be able to say boldly, I follow Jesus and I want to be blessed by him. That's okay. When Jesus speaks here in these famous Beatitudes, what he says is that the people of his kingdom will experience the blessed life. Uh, and what I want to do for the rest of the talk is look more closely at these Beatitudes. If you're wondering why they're called Beatitudes, Beatitudes for some reason is a Latin, it's a Latin word and for some reason it's just stuck and been handed down to us in history as the subheading of this part. Um, but Beatitudes just means blessed or blessings. Uh, and here is the outcome of being Jesus' people. You look at it. You've got, it's good to have your passage in front of you, especially because there's nothing on screen. It's quite amazing in chapter 5, verse 3 to 11. Let me point out a few things. In verse 3 and 10, what he, what he points out is that this is the life of people who are in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, he says, in, in this life you get comfort, the, the life of comfort. This life with Jesus in verse 5 will deliver a massive inheritance. In verse 6, you'll be completely filled and satisfied. In verse 7, you'll be treated way better than you deserve as you receive mercy. Verse 9 and 10, you'll look God in the eyes and be called his kids. In verse 12, you'll get a great reward. The people were expecting God to come and deliver blessing. And in some ways, Jesus' sermon didn't disappoint. Kingdom people will have comfort, mercy, fullness, and family with God. Comfort and mercy and fullness and family with God. I mean, isn't that great? Who wouldn't want that? And we ought to love that kind of life. We ought to hold that kind of life out to each other more often. The kind of existence Jesus is holding out here. Picture it, comfort. A life where you'll never have kind of niggling pain, fearful uncertainty, hunger, financial insecurity, doubt, just comfort. Mercy, you'll always be treated way better than you deserve. You'll pay a dollar and you'll get something that costs three. You'll work for an hour and you'll get paid for a whole day. Never feeling like you've been ripped off. In fact, the very opposite, mercy. Fullness, feeling like and knowing you have everything you need. Enough food, enough love, enough mates, enough work, always. Family. Always somewhere to come home to. Somewhere warm, somewhere where you're known, somewhere where you're loved, somewhere for a late night chat, family. And seeing God, never doubting again. Souls at peace. Face to face with the divine creator who is 
desiring to share his good things with you. I am a Christian and I want comfort and mercy and fullness and family through Christ. I want those things. You think in a way it shouldn't be a hard sell, should it? Comfort and mercy and fullness and family. and In many ways, all those kinds of things are, are what people want. People want comfort. They want to be treated better than they deserve. People do want to feel full. They, they do want a sense of enduring family that isn't barneying in one way or another. I think people want those kind of things in life. And I think what Jesus is saying in his talk here is that those things are good things. It's just that people want to take the wrong path to get it. Our culture, even for us, our our default kind of switch is to take the opposite part of the Beatitudes. One thing that's a great exercise when you read the Bible is to take it and kind of flip it on its head. Uh, Take the sentences and get them to say the opposite of what they're actually saying. And it can really show you something. Um, If you do that with the Beatitudes, I think it shows you the automatic position for for many of us in in our life. I'll show you what I mean. Uh, In chasing the good life, the blessed life, what if it was read like this? Instead of blessed are the poor in spirit, it said blessed are the rich in body. Instead of blessed are those who mourn, it said blessed are the smilers. Blessed are the strong and confident Good on the ones who are pretty sure they're good people. Good on the ones who know how to treat themselves well. Good on you for being just a little bit naughty. Good on you for standing up for your rights. Good on you for keeping you and your family always safe from persecution. The way to the good and blessed life is to be rich in body, smiling and confident and good, knowing how to look after yourself and your family, standing up for yourself, avoiding anyone getting hurt. This is a summary of the kind of opposite lifestyle of the Beatitudes, but a summary that just really stuck out to me. Because looking at that opposite life, it seems attractive. That pathway seems attractive. But Jesus here is saying, hey, listen, you you live the opposite path, the opposite life to the beatitude life, and you'll get the opposite outcome to the beatitude outcome. The story of our world is that full life comes when you are rich and smiling and confident and know how to look after yourself and stand up for yourself and keep yourself safe. That's the path to get to the full life. But if Jesus is to be trusted, if he's to be trusted about his kingdom, if he's telling the truth, then living the opposite life of the uh, Beatitudes will not bring comfort and mercy and fullness and family with God rather it will bring discomfort and disdain and emptiness and loneliness and godliness godlessness sorry Jesus is showing people that the blessed life he offers comes from a very different path to what we might expect 
different path to the blessed life with God. And the beatitude life may seem very low compared to many others. I sort of wonder if the people, if if he's 12 listening, if the crowd gathered at this moment and they heard this, I wonder if they were shocked because they really are familiar with the plan for God to bless his people more than we would know. And they knew that Jesus had really shown a kind of light that he could be the one to bring the blessing. And then for them to hear things like, be poor in spirit, verse 3, mourn, verse 4, be meek, those be righteous, be blessed, be pure, be merciful, be peaceful. Kingdom people, says Jesus, are mourners and merciful and hungry for righteousness and pure and peaceful and persecuted. Jesus is saying that his new kingdom has in store for them a low and difficult life. It looks crazy. It looks like an unrewarding lifestyle. A life weak, a life different to the one we're used to championing. But it only makes sense, doesn't it, because of Jesus. It only makes sense because of what Jesus goes on to do. Jesus goes on to show that the low life is actually the path to real glory. As the king bringing God's kingdom, Jesus goes on to totally overthrow the expectations of the people gathered. They thought he would come and establish God's blessing by establishing military power, by establishing Christian government, but he didn't do any of that. Actually, shortly after this sermon, he goes on to continually talk about dying. And he kept making more enemies. And in the end, even his closest mates took off. And he dies a mournful, persecuted death. A meek man who always treated others better than they treated him. He died never having said an impure or crass or harsh word to anyone. He died claiming to be a king, yet looking weak, pathetic, and empty, which made his kingdom life look the same. But we know that's the point of the kingdom, isn't it? That Jesus came to show us the true life is the kind of self-giving, vulnerable, weak, in a sense, life. For in that moment of death, Jesus did just what had to be done. He took the punishment for sin. That means that those who seek the good life without the God who made it can be given godliness instead of suffering for their godlessness. Jesus died in a way that looked weak but did the strongest thing ever. And he didn't stay dead. He raised to glory. As it says in Philippians, he was raised to the highest place. And in fact, because of Jesus, we know there is no foolishness in living the beatitude life. We can trust him to walk the low life because it's the full life that ends in glory. In the Beatitudes, Jesus isn't saying things that are unhappy really are happy. 
Jesus is actually just calling a spade a spade. He says, you forget him and you aim to live a strong and rich and powerful life and it will end up uncomfortable, lonely and godless. Or he says, you belong to his kingdom by trusting him and you will live meek and poor and pure and hungry and it will end in comfort and fullness and family and God. He's just telling them what the case is. And so here's the question. Uh, how are you trying to get the full life, the blessed life, the life that people of the kingdom really are headed for? Because I reckon there'll be some people here who are trying to get the life of the kingdom, but without the king, trying to get the kind of high life now. And I want to be really clear here, I'm talking to Christian people for the moment, people who are saying you're, you're a kingdom person. But really you're about seeking uh, pleasure and comfort and this passage should be a wake-up call. Because you may get a lot of comfort now. Sheds, shares, sheets, I don't know what it is. You may be strongly assertive, you may be able to stand up for yourself. Perhaps you don't mind being a little intolerant because you think some people are just wrong and you don't want them threatening your way of life. And so you're chasing the good life and the nice life and the blessed life, but your focus on pleasure, your love of entertainment, your love of being strong and independent, all of these things leave no room for Jesus. You will, in fact, miss out on the blessing you so crave and end up with discomfort and disdain and emptiness and loneliness and godlessness. Jesus' warning to you is don't do it. Don't be deceived that you're on the path to satisfaction. Don't be so stubborn as to think that you can ride out what obviously will not work. Don't be so stupid as to try and do kingdom life without the king. Come to the cross, ask for forgiveness and be a kingdom person. And we want you to walk with us as kingdom people. Uh, though it seems like a low life, we walk behind Jesus because we know in the end really it is a strong life. There are lots of you who walk as peacemakers here, uh, doing what you can when you see conflict, not to run from it, but to face it and to walk through it because you want to follow your king. And you've done it not merely in a counselling session or a book, but at great cost. Uh, taking on the family conflict because you know everyone is just pretending and it would be so much better if they weren't. Sometimes in the midst of conflict, sacrificing hundreds of thousands of dollars, which perhaps you had a right to. But you let it go in order to maintain a relationship, to leave a door open for the gospel. And you've reached out again and again and again. And even though it hurts every single time, you keep walking that path because Christ walked it for you. There are those of you who treat people at your work with incredible mercy. Picking up the little things they forget. Speaking well of their successes. Letting them take recognition even though when you know it really should be shared. And you don't do it out of bitterness. But you want to treat them better than they deserve. 
because that's how Jesus has treated you. And many of you crave purity. You look to be as pure in your, as you can in an age of just uh, readily accessible impurity. Uh, pornography everywhere. I, I've talked about pornography on lots of platforms as a Christian for all kinds of reasons. Um, and I used to talk about the stats about how you know it's mostly men and there are some women. It's just about equal now. Uh, you know, and the temptation for many people, you, you can look at pornography on your desk, you can do it, you know, in the bathroom, you can do it at school, before or after or whenever, just any kind of way. I've just, I've learned in the last two weeks, you can have an app, uh, parents, that you, uh, kids make you think is a calculator, but when they type in the right number, it, I can tell you it's not a calculator. But there are many of you in the face of that who do what you can to avoid the impure to awkwardly stand silently amidst the crassness as you stand around and talk. It's tough, but you long to be pure like your heavenly Father and you know Christ's Spirit is at work purifying you. And we are mocked as Jesus' people. I mean mocked as Jesus' people. There are lots of things you might be mocked about. You might be mocked about your politics or what particular things you think about men and women, the kind of job you do or you know, what, what kind of hobbies you have. You might be mocked about those things. But at the heart of it, as Christians, we're really often not taken seriously or openly mocked because we claim Jesus. The poor and weak and crucified Messiah from thousands of years ago, who was apparently the king of the kingdom, we're mocked for being narrow-minded, part of a dying movement, backwards, religious, and maybe underneath just plain stupid. But we take the low path with Jesus because we long not for the high life of this age but the full life of the eternal one. When as kingdom people we hear the words of Jesus, good on you, come and enjoy comfort and mercy and fullness and family with me. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for finally coming to be the one to bring the blessing you and your Father and the Spirit had always planned to share. We know that you are the crucified and risen Lord of all things. And this morning we want to confess there have been many times when, it, when we just find it almost impossible to trust you when you say that that path of being mournful and meek and being heckled and persecuted is actually going to be fine. Perhaps there are times some of us need to confess when we've just really thrown you under a bus. But Lord Jesus, we thank you for the strength of your weakest moment on the cross where our sin could be forgiven and we pray you would forgive us. We thank you that you're resurrected and we pray that that great hope and the strength of your spirit would help us to live the beatitude life and that our hearts would leap for joy as we grow into and long for the beatitude blessings. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.